there's a there's a magic editing fairy, and she has a magic wand, and she makes all of us sound about thirty IQ points smarter than we actually are. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Ruby Rogues. I'm excited to tell you about a new sponsor of the show, Rollbar. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors. Ugh. Relying on users to report errors, digging through log files to debug issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox ruining your day. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring... You get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster. It's easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployments in eight minutes or less, or automatically create new issues in GitHub, Jira, Pivotal Tracker, etc. We have a special offer for Ruby Rogues listeners. Go to rollbar.com/rubyrogues, sign up, and get the Bootstrap plan free for 90 days. That's 300,000 errors tracked free. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com/rubyrogues. Hey, hello and welcome to episode 259 of the Ruby Rogues. Today on our panel we have Sam Livingston Gray. This is not my beautiful house. We have Jessica Kerr. Good morning. I'm the guest host today, David Brady. And because I'm guest hosting, I don't do my intro joke. I'm just going to screw it up and I'm already well underway. And today we have a special guest who is Jay Bobo. Hi, thanks for having me. You bet, welcome. So Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. I am a developer at Cover of My Meds. I've been doing a lot of training stuff, so I handle all of our trainings for new hires, I guess, over the last nine or six to nine months. Um, and I'm also one of the organizers of Pair Columbus here in Central Ohio. Now, in the pre-call, I tried to say you are the organizer of Pair Columbus, and you had like an allergic reaction. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, my parents beat it into me as a kid that I should really kind of speak in the royal we in most cases. Um, <laughs> so when kind of working in a community or you know, anything where there's a group, I really like to try to emphasize the work that other people are doing. Because if it was just me by myself, then it'd be a complete failure. <laughs> okay. so, so, so you organize Para Columbus and you're very, very good at it is what I'm hearing. No. no. <laughs> You're good at I mean, it in the sense of organization isn't something you do alone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely. I mean, I don't think we do anything alone, right? If we think about it from, you know, friendship to, you know, the teams that we work in at work, you know, to going out and having a good time. It's always some sort of group experience, you know, even if you're organizing a, a meetup, you know. So, yeah, I, I'd agree. So, yeah, I mean, as a part of that, if it's okay, i definitely like to shout out uh, some of the organizers of Perry Columbus, Brian Lees, who's instrumental, Basant, Pat Poo. Those two guys have definitely uh, been there since the beginning, and they've helped out in a tremendous amount of ways. Um, and the list is extremely long, so I won't go on and on, but, but definitely those two guys have been uh, um, really, really helpful. In addition to just the support of the community, we wouldn't be able to do any of the stuff that we've done without the support of uh, the local Columbus Ruby Brigade and Cover My Meds, who's one of our sponsors. Vasanth and Brian, nobody knows really where they work. I hear it's another small uh, health informatics uh, <laughs> company in Columbus, Ohio, that you and I work at. Yeah, yeah that's what I hear. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, what, that's what I hear. Yeah. So it's an organized conspiracy. Yes. Yeah, it feels that way sometimes. Yep. So what is Pear Columbus? I mean, do you grow pear trees? We've thought about it. No, uh, Pear Columbus is just, you know, the emphasis is pear programming. Um, I don't even know how the name came together. It just happened. It's it started. Yes, I would say it's because you're doing pear programming and you're well, Columbus. Well, yeah, didn't really put a lot of effort into it. Oh, my it, God. Right? Really? I'm just, I'm just I'm floating just that. Like, okay, pear and then Columbus. But I feel like we could have been, like, it's not as cool as Ruby Rogues, in my opinion. Right. So, but yeah, we started actually at the Columbus Ruby Brigade when I had moved back to Central Ohio from Chicago. I stood up at the uh, like after the meetup and said, "Hey, who wants to get together and like 
prepare on some stuff, you know, mentoring, like, you know, new people, you know, whatever. And eight people, like, grabbed me afterwards. And we started meeting at the library, and we were meeting, like, weekly, and then a bunch of other people wanted to come, and which is kind of crazy because we, we meet at, like, Saturday mornings, you know. Wow. <laughs> so, cartoons? Wow. Yeah, exactly. We conflict with Saturday morning cartoons, which is, you know, which I, I guess are still a thing. I mean, I don't know. No, actually, they're not. For those of you under the age of 30, cartoons used to only be on Saturday morning. There was not a network. Yeah, they used to have a fixed time, and you had to watch them at the same time as everybody else, and you couldn't pause them. Yep. And Dungeons & Dragons was on at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, it was insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you had to get up early for that stuff. But anyway, so we conflict with someone's cartoon watching. I'm sure someone watches cartoons Saturday morning. But yeah, so it just got bigger and a lot of other people started to come and to come by and we had experienced developers and we have new people and some folks who've never written code before. So it's been this really interesting exercise of trying to make a meetup work for people of different backgrounds and different experiences, which is definitely uh, difficult. But we've pivoted almost every meetup <laughs> to make it really? better. And we've had a number of different tools in place. So this May, I mean, you know, obviously this month, Meetup will be completely different than it was from last month. So I think that's also why the community has been strong over the two years that we've been around. It's just because you really never know what may happen, you know. But it's always helpful. It's always really cool. And you'll actually write code. That's, That's the other big thing. Like the last one, someone came up to me and they said, you know why I like coming to this thing even though it's in the morning on a Saturday? It's because we actually write code as opposed to just complaining about our jobs (laughs) (laughs) wow and and that's it right so i think that's really cool is that you know it's fun you know you're gonna get together with some people you're gonna meet new people it's uh so rather diverse and a very inclusive environment and it's it's fun you know it's fun like we get up and we say hey like did you learn anything today and someone says yeah a little bit did you build anything today no. Okay. So what broke? <laughs> then you just come up. You're like, I ran into this error and I couldn't figure it out, or I accomplished nothing whatsoever in trying to learn this new thing. You know, so it's it's fun. It's definitely a fun space. That's awesome. So Jake, tell me about what was the format of the meeting in April? The okay. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to. I have to try to remember. I have to look at my list. Um, or you could really tell me any general meeting. Yeah, we um, we have no way of check, spot checking you on this. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So the basic format for Paracolumbus, it changes from meetup to meetup. We meet monthly now. Just recently, within the last three months, we are now the newest chapter of Node School, which is an international organization. I mean, they don't have like an official designation. Oh, wow. But there's like a Node School in Santiago. Like we were admitted to Node School, which is all about Node.js and JavaScript, about I think the same time that – Havana, Cuba was. So that's really cool. But it covers everything. Like you could learn about shaders. You can learn about Node in itself. You can learn about, you know, functional JavaScript. I mean, if there's such a thing, I guess, um, all these functional concepts. You can learn about, you know, shaders and gaming and all types of different things. So, um, that's, cool. so that's one of the things that we do. And then we come up with themes. So a theme might be, I think our, our last theme was... It was like a mini hackathon. And so we gave everyone a list of APIs and say, hey, build something interesting with these APIs. You have two hours in which to do it. And then at the end of two hours, you know, come up and present it. So that's like one thing. Or we might have things in like, you know, technical interviews. It really kind of depends upon, you know, our audience. Like they'll come to us and say, hey, you guys should do this. We had one last year that went over really, really well. It was a capture the flag sort of like intro to OWASP training, which was really, really great. Like you had to access this application and like, you know, get access to like an email account, which led to a Twitter, to you defacing the, like a Twitter account, which led to like pulling up, finding a person's GitHub account, accessing a private repository, then finding out about other stuff you know, I like endpoints that you may not have known about in the application. It was all types of like wacky stuff. Holy um, crap! Why have I not been coming to this? Holy freaking <laughs> crap! Yeah, well, for one thing, Dave, you're in Utah. So you get to you get to learn about authorization and and not hate your day at the same time. <laughs> I've definitely never achieved that before. <laughs> yeah, it was it was definitely pretty cool. I think um, our attendees had a lot of fun with that one. So. 
But yeah, no, it, it could be anything. And we try to really keep it, you know, light and free flowing, you know, just so that everyone continues to have fun. And there's, you know, because sometimes you get to get in a rut, right? Like, I know we get yeah. there, it's going to be like some lightning talk, that, and then I'm going to grab a beer, and then we're going to like stand around the bar. So we just try to like, you know, but that stuff is cool too. Like, I'm not trying to like drag on other meetups. Sure. Uh, I think people definitely need that social outlet. But we do recognize that a lot of people are looking at trying to get better or at the exact same like trying to become better craftspeople while at the exact same time. Like, they want to meet new people, right? Over something that you really enjoy. And so that's kind of what our focus is at Paracolumbus. And on that's Saturday, awesome. you still have your brain. Yeah. Well, unlike evenings, yeah. weekday evenings. I can go to the meetups, but programming at them is sometimes hard. Okay, moment of truth. How many Paracolumbuses have you shown up to hungover, Jay? Oh, that's a great question. So, uh, <laughs> that's a really Actually, that's question. an awful question. I was mostly kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have to say that none. I'll say none, but yeah, no, it's tough because sometimes, like, I haven't, like, I've, I've definitely procrastinated. Like, I need something the night before. I'm pretty sure the, uh, the capture the flag one, I, I stayed up, like, I think I deployed that thing to Heroku at like four o'clock the morning before. So, <laughs> so that is awesome. Well, and so you guys sound almost as decentralized in organization and topics as the name of the meetup suggests. That you don't get together and say we're going to do this. And yeah. it's the obligatory joke. If you guys are node school, then you know the topics are endless. You could do a whole hour on why threading is hard. You could do a whole nother hour on why threading is dumb. You could do a whole nother hour on why threading is evil. I mean, the topics really are just endless. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with that. And we, we've attempted to become more like language agnostic over time. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the exact same time, like, you know, we started, you know, like I say that like we are the children of Columbus Ruby Brigade. You know, and if you look at some of our challenges, which are pulled from all over the place, a lot of that stuff is done in Ruby. But we just recognize that we wanted to be a place to kind of brought people together and to go in those different, you know, go along those different like pathways that you just mentioned, right? Like we didn't want to be locked to something besides the fact of like our model is bringing people together and then like we're not going to be tied down to saying, oh, we're only going to work in a certain language. And if you want to learn, I don't know elixir or something to go somewhere else and so uh, node school just made sense because of they already have a really awesome community international community different like coding challenges are baked in different languages and it just made sense because if i if i had to say like our focus is it's definitely web development so you can't do that without javascript obviously um, I mean, I guess, yeah. you know, Speak for um, yourself, at least. <laughs> so, hello you know. and welcome to episode 259 of JavaScript Jabber. Today, our guest is. <laughs> so, you know, um, just saying that is, you know, we we're just about bringing people together for the benefit of the community. And that's what it's about. So wherever the community wants to go, we're willing to go there, too. Charlie Lowell made a, a, a really great tweet. Uh, he's Cowboy D on Twitter, and he tweeted uh, a couple weeks ago that this is about Ember rather than about Node, but he said, Ember is not a framework, it's a community, and until you understand that, you will never understand the framework. And I, I wrote back to him and I said, so what you're saying is if you if it bleeds, we can kill it. And he didn't really agree with that. But yeah, so I like this notion that Node, that you guys can champion Node without excluding other languages, right? Somebody wants to show up and, and do something completely different. You can say, hey, that's fine. Uh, but if somebody needs a reason to come to Pair Columbus beyond just pairing, you can say, well, hey, you want to sharpen up your Node skills? Yeah. We're a Node school. That's awesome. Yeah. In addition to other languages, too. So, like, just recently we established a relationship with the Columbus PHP group. And it's pretty much about taking, like, all all of our Ruby stuff and our Rails stuff and our Sinatra stuff and just attempting to make our place more welcome. You know, like you can't say, oh, we have this inclusive environment that's, you know, open to people from different backgrounds and so on and so forth, you know, without giving people an opportunity to, you know, get to connect with you in a language, I want to say like a language, like programming language, but just in without having some sort of common ground there and also to give them the ability to go in different directions. We don't have a thing where it's like, well, you know, 
oh, I want to learn Go or something. And because you guys don't really deal with that sort of stuff, then I'm going to stop coming to Paracolumbus. So I think that that was really our, our big focus is is to be more um, people centered and, and you know without a focus on frameworks and, and languages, you know. So Jay, I'm curious oh, about the makeup of Paracolumbus. Do you get a lot of beginners, a lot of people who switch languages? And what's the overlap between your group and, say, the Columbus Ruby Brigade? Oh, that's a great question. That's a really great question. I would say that on a given day that beginners may be anywhere from, I don't know, I'm going to say 10 to maybe 30% of our attendees. And it's broken up just the way you mentioned it, right? We have some people who say, hey, I don't know, I've been working in Perl or something for a long time or something. And I haven't done anything else or something. I don't know. I've been working in Java forever. I want to learn something new. So we have like those sort of folks. And then there are there are the people that say, hey, I just heard about this thing, you know, in a class. I go to Ohio State University and I'm here. What should I do next? What should I do post graduation? It's how, all types all types of stuff. How do you like match people up in pairs? That's another awesome question. So when we first started, it involved me and a whiteboard and lots of running around. <laughs> so, but that's changed. Thank God that changed. So what we've done is we've built a Meteor app that we utilize. And we have people come in and they uh, access the uh, application. And they enter in like their email address, their name, what they're there to learn and what they're there to teach. Um, so it's not just like this one-way sort of thing. You come in and say, hey. I'm just trying to get better at technical interviews or something. There's that. And then you throw on your experience. And we just kind of keep that in mind. Uh, what we've learned is, is that we try to come up with an overall theme. And the that theme is broken into two pieces. So one will say, here's something that's just for novices. And here's something that's for people who are a little bit more experienced. So I think I mentioned earlier about working with APIs thing that we did. I think I believe that was last month. The way that actually ended up working out was that the more experienced folks worked with APIs. The other group worked on object-oriented programming, building just kind of really basic command line scripts. So it gives people an opportunity to, you know, if they're beginners, to either sit in on something, so to do like a three amigos thing, or what we'll do is if they're really, 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 really new, and that. For them, even seems like we. I, I try to sit down with each person and say, "Hey, how do you, how do you feel? What do you think about this?" And if that's not something that they're open to, then we'll sit, we'll pair them together on something like Code Academy or Code School or uh, Zed Shaw's Learn the Hard Way. Maybe they'll work through some of that stuff. So that's for that's great for people who are who have come to Paracolumbus for the first time. And so then what happens is they come in the next month and they said, "I went through all of." learn Ruby the hard way and I feel awesome and now I'm ready to do this other thing so it's amazing to see people kind of graduate through us like we're not a boot camp or any of that other sort of stuff you know but it's amazing to see people who have said like I have three months of programming underneath my belt I just finished code school and like they're now working as a developer somewhere so that's that's amazing awesome and so Jay, Jay you mentioned a term that I think has some currency outside of cover my meds but it's definitely lingua franca inside the company you said three amigos do you want to give a definition to that because we're not just pretending to be Steve Martin and Chevy Chase and <laughs> I think Martin Short yeah uh, I, the case of the case of uh, pair Columbus is we just look at a shadowing a pair you know three amigos and other places may be what a pair and a test engineer or a pair and you know an infrastructure developer devops person i don't know what the titles are or a business that, a business yeah. advocate yeah yeah, or something along those lines. So, oh, but yeah, for us, that's what it is. We try to avoid that because we do this whole like talk on like pair programming 101 that I find hilarious, but I guess no one finds any of my my jokes funny. Um, as long <laughs> so we as try you to lead that's that. all that matters. So depending upon how many new people are there, like we'll lead like here's programming, you know, pair programming. You know, here's your your responsibilities as a driver. Here's your responsibilities as a navigator, which is cool. Which is cool. We've definitely had experience. People. Like I've had very experienced people come and say, hey, what is this pair programming thing that you guys are doing? Can you explain it to me? Like I, we've done it this way. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess we can <laughs> – we can give you some advice. I don't. I don't. You know, we're just we're just some crazy people to get together and write code. I don't know. I don't know who wants our advice. I think you said something important there today. You said that people who are experienced 
programmers come to find out what pairing is. And um, yeah, almost like I, it's I a separate skill or part, something. Exactly. And it is a separate skill and it's hard to recognize that. And then when you try to do it and you don't enjoy it, well, you're probably doing it wrong. At least if at first you don't enjoy it, try pairing with someone experienced in pairing, even if they're not experienced in what you're doing. Because, yeah, it really is a different way of working. Last week, I was at CraftConf in Budapest, and uh, Dan North did a keynote, and he had a really interesting point. He was talking about the Cohen of what's the sound of one hand clapping. And what he gets personally out of that Cohen is that the clap is a property of the system. It's not a property of either hand, but of the relationship between them. And pair programming is like that. Something comes out of pair programming that does not come out of programming by yourself. Yeah, I would definitely agree. You know, I mean, there is so much to be learned from it, like if you want. Um, and that's kind of what we talk about in the slides. I have to find the slides for you all on it. And, you know, there's something to be said for having to attempt to express your ideas in your you know, native tongue to your partner without having your hands on the keyboard. I think it, it helps make, you know, like being a better communicator is, I mean, being a good communicator is great for working in a team and who doesn't really work in a team. And then also too, I think it requires you to have to do some more self-reflection about kind of who you are as a person. This is outside of programming, right? About how much empathy do you have for an individual and you recognize that hey you are capable of making the same sort of mistakes i think it it, it helps as far as like remove i don't say it, it kind of it doesn't remove ego but it helps kind of suppress it i feel like especially if you're going to take some effort to be a good partner you know pair partner it's kind of like it's almost being a good friend you know um, or, or just a good like life partner. <laughs> you know? You're doing more than you're doing more than learning a new way of coding. You get to kind of be in someone's head when you're coding with them, and you get to learn a new way of thinking. Especially yeah. if they're a lot different from you, that's the best. If you could just if you could be present in that moment and really listen. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I, I would I would agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, my favorite part of pair programming, especially with a new person, is that moment where I'm surprised. Like, they just used a command line trick or a key binding that I don't know, but it's something really cool, and so yeah. I ask about that. Or even better, right, I'm trying to railroad us through this thing, and uh, then somebody says, wait, why don't we just do it this other way? And I stop, and I'm like, but but that would mess up the next three things I had planned, and oh, wait, you're right. That is much better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Or when they type something wrong and you're like, what? But if you just kind of go with it for a few minutes, then you're like, oh, I wouldn't have thought of that. Right. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people think being the navigator is you're just being the spell check, right? I mean, you just typed printer there instead of printer. Kind of, you know, that method call is not going to work because you mistyped it. That's and, important in Ruby. And to be fair, <laughs> no, you can hook method missing to make it catch printer and redirect it to printer. But <laughs> point, <laughs> those of you listening to the call, Jessica just put her face in her hands. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, and, and to be fair, you really do do a lot of spell checking. But yes, you do end up doing this navigation checking. And I have a possible tangent question. Does does somebody have a, a follow-up before I switch a little bit? Yes, I did. Um, uh, I, I think the purpose of the pair is, or the navigator, is to look at things at a slightly higher level, in addition to picking up that little yeah. detail, but to remember why we're doing this at all. And you know how sometimes you're trying to code something or worse, debug something, and you get like way down in the weeds, and it's just immensely harder than you thought it was, but you keep going, and then your pair says... Wait, why are we doing this again? Maybe mm -hmm. it isn't worth it. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should just back up and, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. And you know you would have spent another six hours beating your head against it if somebody hadn't said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Why? Guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote out this big, long thing to the XP mailing list back when Agile was called XP before Microsoft released an operating system that took over that namespace. When Agile was called Extreme Programming, I, I wrote this big, long thing about testing in C++, about how you do the setup, you do the teardown, you da 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 And I posted like 300 lines of boilerplate that made everything just so 
plain and calm and easy. And Ron Jeffries, bless his heart, is, is not known for being a kind soul or for suffering fools. And he changed my career by actually stepping out of character and being kind and empathetic. And he just wrote back one sentence and he said, David, does it have to hurt this much? Yeah. Ron. And it, I, bleh, I'm like, maybe not. So, yeah, it's great to have somebody at that higher level. Yeah, I was going to mention that um, one thing I noticed as somebody with uh, more experience in programming and pairing both. When I'm pairing, especially with somebody who's really new, my instinct when they start to typo something or they mess up the arguments to a method, my instinct is to correct them immediately. Mm-hmm. But I actually have to stomp on that because I think it's probably more useful as an experienced pair to give people the space to make those mistakes and to learn what happens when you make those mistakes. I realize it's a little bit arrogant even to phrase it that way, because sometimes people, you think that somebody's making a mistake and they actually learn this other thing that you don't know too, but yeah. 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 But balance that. Uh-huh. I mean, yes, let them get the error message and let them find it. But if they don't find it right away, then show them oh, yeah. what that error message Absolutely means. Absolutely give them hints. And mm-hmm. then they learn something. But don't, this happened to me once, let them go the entire afternoon struggling with something that you happen yeah. to know how to do just to show them at the very end of the day how stupid they were and that you knew this all along. And then they go to the bathroom and cry for 10 minutes. Okay, that happened to me. That, that they happened had to that me. coming. I was the guy who did it. Sorry. No. Um, I, so I have, I have to give a huge shout out right now to uh, DJ Destefano. He he works at Cover My Meds. He's my pair partner right now. We we do kind of monogamous long term pairing at, at CMM. I I'm trying to push us more towards a little more promiscuous pairing, but right now he is my assigned marital partner, if you will, in terms of pair programming. And he's new. He's got less than a year of Ruby under his belt, and he and I. I know that pairing between a very senior and a very junior person is supposed to be awful, that it's supposed to be the like all the studies have shown that that's the version of pairing that just has the there's such an impedance mismatch between the ability to communicate your thoughts. And it's just not there with DJ and I. We have hit this magical point where and we all know that if you pair program, you're going to get about one person's work of done work done in a day. But that level of work will be three or five times higher quality than one person could have produced that one person's worth of work in a day. DJ and I just click so well and so fast. We are getting all of his work done and all of my work done in a single workday, and it's the three to five times quality. There's something magical there. I don't know why. I'm so... We all have chemistry. That's probably true, and I probably would kiss him, but he has a beard. It's kind of gross. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> If you're into kissing guys with beards, it's cool, you know, but I'm not. So anyway, my point is that there's something magical going on there that I don't understand, which fascinates me endlessly. And to speak to Jessica's point, we were we, we had two times where it went both ways. Uh, last week, we were in the middle of a thing and DJ was like, I'm trying to make this thing work and I'm having trouble with it and I want to go this. And that's the first sign of a good pair. So we're t- talking. He's actually talking out what he's trying to do. He was the one driving, but he was talking out what he was trying to do. And he's like, I can't seem to make this work. And I threw out a leader question or a leader statement, which was, I see what you're trying to do. And I have an idea. I have a, I, I have a quick solution that will work. However, you are on the right track to discovering that idea. So if you'll forgive me, I'd like to just follow along with you as you develop this idea. And he went, heck yeah. And so we spent half an hour solving something that I could have just banged out in five minutes and he would have been none the wiser. And the next time he ran into that situation, he would have the same dilemma. We spent half an hour on it. You negotiated that up front? Up front. Yes. I told him, I told him, I see a shortcut, but I can't take you through that shortcut without you missing all of the scenery. And, you know, it was the middle of the week. We had some time. Did I mention we're very productive together? We had some time coming to us. And he's like, I want to learn this. And I really view the senior person's role in a job is not to make sure that the code gets written, but rather to make sure that the junior partner gets educated so that they can write that code next time. But that's so amazing that you talked about it because that kind of going meta 
and being able to talk about what you're doing abstractly is so important in communication and in improving. Because what if he was really tired that day right. and he knew he wouldn't be able to catch the thing and it would have been better to learn it later. Then he could have said, no, I just really want to feel productive right now. Mm-hmm. Please show me. We'll come back and learn that thing later. Absolutely. And yesterday morning, we had the same situation happen and we made the opposite decision. We were deploying code to production and we deployed we did a single node rollout into production and things were going wrong and it wasn't our functional specs weren't passing and we were trying to figure out why and dj started down a little bit of a rat hole and i started to do the thing of okay well i see a solution here but i kind of want to show you the way and then i stopped myself in mid-sentence and i said you know what dj we're deploying to production how about i just jump us ahead to this and then we can circle back if we want and he went thank you yes please now you said chemistry jessica and i can sum up his chemistry in one word and that's humility i can say i know the answer and it comes out about like that um uh, i try to be a little more empathetic i try not to stress i know the answer i I don't say and not you Uh, you know that kind of thing you know my, my point is i try not to be a jerk when i say you know i see a way through this I'm not saying that there's no other way through it and that you're dumb for not knowing it. So I try to try to lay this out there as an option and he picks it up with humility and he has the safety to tell me, yes, let's jump ahead or yes, let's, there's no, no there. There's two yeses. He can either say, yes, let's jump ahead or yes, let's take the long way. And then I will know the route through these mountains next time. And the next time we hit this problem, he can teleport straight to the end. Yeah. yeah, you said something. Yeah. I think that communication, that communication is really, really important. I think it's like, it doesn't have anything to do with necessarily experience, but I think about just being a good teammate. And it's not even just in pairing, right? I mean, that happens in pairing, but it also can happen between, you know, engineering and business, right? I mean, we have our own priorities for stuff. I mean, just like, you know, this happens all the time in life. But pairing, I think, is a good exercise. I've learned a lot about myself in undergoing it and saying, hey, you know, like, and attempting to, you know, look like outside of myself at my relationship with someone else and saying, okay, all right, how am I responding to this person? Am I communicating clearly? Am I uh, taking into consideration, you know, what's important to them? Just some of that stuff. And I think that you all have hit it right on the head. And that's what our focus is, you know, for Pair Columbus. So that is awesome. So Jay, uh, let me put you on the spot a little bit. Horror stories. Uh, wait, 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 no. Let me give you the ability to say yes here. Horror stories? Oh, yeah. Can you can you share with us how we might deal with some difficulties that you may have observed in pair programming? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's very similar to just other horror stories you have when working with people. I've seen it with other people. You know, I've seen two guys about come to blows while pairing. That was interesting. Okay, so one rule, no fighting. Yeah, that was shouting. I don't know. I don't remember exactly what it was over, but it was something trivial. Like they were working on something, and and they were both very – was it Captain Spaces? Yeah, I'm sure it's probably what it was. <laughs> um, but they they had very strong opinions about how to solve one thing, and and they were, I guess, what I call cowboy coders. You know, like they pair, but it's kind of like, let me have the laptop or let me have the keyboard, sort of thing. And I think that just they rubbed each other wrong. You know, I, I've seen that sort of thing, you know, happen. And I've had situations where when working on a team. With the, with the team of developers, where one person takes this very sort of, you know, it's very, I guess it's this type A personality, I'm not sure, but, you know, has this opinion and feels as if the group should follow with their opinion uh, and is not considering anyone else, you know, and I've definitely had to come to a person, hey, listen, you know, you've been voted off the island, but we still love you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've known to really hug, you know, and I feel like there, there's definitely times where I could have been a better pair. And I've had to, you know, I had to work against my own ego and my own insecurities, you know, as well. So I've had days when my partner and I have just needed to hug it out until he couldn't breathe. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, if it was tabs and spaces and one partner was advocating both tabs and spaces, violence was merited there. <laughs> that person gets defenestrated. Sometimes not want to say yes and. Yes. yes. Yes, there's three options here. There's yes and and another yes and and then there's no effing way. <laughs> cool. 
Sam has a word of the day. Oh, yes. I uh, I misheard Jay as uh, when he said the word personality. It sounded to me like personality, and we were talking about pairing. So, yeah, I don't have a definition for it, but uh, maybe we'll throw that up. That's listeners. awesome. That it is should awesome. be a thing. It's a book. I think you all yeah. think you three should work. Put a book to it. personality. Yeah. The the last time the Ruby Rogues tried to write a book together, well, we're still writing it. Actually, no, we're not. 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 (laughs) There's a reason we work together on a show that someone else does all the work for. Yes. Oh my gosh. We should have Mandy write a book. There you go. (laughs) I'm sure she's cracking up while editing this. I'm a genius. I'm a genius. I don't don't know the waveform for that. Yeah. Mandy, that needs to go in the show. Just so you know, that that's freaking awesome. Um, well, let me say this. Let me put this out. Maybe, maybe this will uh, give us a direction moving forward. I think that a lot of the sort of strategies that are useful for pairing are things that companies should utilize when bringing on you know, new developers or apprentices or juniors. I think some of it is the same stuff about empathy, you know, the same things about communication as it relates to stuff like documentation, as it relates to, you know, informing them of their responsibilities as far as organization, you know, and preparing as well. Project lore, stuff that isn't written down, but you have to know. Yeah, you know, like what can we do to – I mean, there will always be tribal knowledge that's passed around, but is there a way – we can to define some of those things and then put people in a place where they can be successful. And I see that that sometimes that doesn't happen when I speak to well, it doesn't happen a lot. I mean, for example, let's say we've had some of the folks who've come through Pair Columbus who are now working as developers in some places. You know, they're kind of unsure of where they are and kind of what they need to do. I think that also falls into is it the responsibility of a company to I don't know I know some some entities have like apprenticeship programs and I think that those are great if they are like truly apprenticeship programs but if not like are we being thoughtful about how we bring people in as opposed to just saying hey all right you know so Jay, did you say you do training for new hires at Cover My Meds? Yeah, so at Cover My Meds, it's one of the things that I've handled. And it's one of the things that I think that I've worked on uh, a lot within the company and outside of the company is attempting to kind of, especially for people who are new, extremely new to the industry, you know, they have lots of questions about things like, what should my approach be to, you know, working with my manager, right? Or what should I focus on? on? Where should I focus my energies? You know, how do I deal with conflict when I'm on a team? You know, things like that. So what I'm seeing is, is that some of the things that I've learned about pairing, learned about myself, some of those those traits and those qualities, I feel like, you know, companies and organizations, you know, like they become, I don't want to get into a political conversation at all, but what I, I do want to say is, is that I feel like there is a responsibility that we have to employees, you know, especially new people as well. And a lot of the conversations that I've had, you know, with friends of mine who are, you know, who are being hired at, you know, companies all over the world, there seems to definitely be this sort of disconnect in a lot of places, you know, between employee and employer. And it's kind of like, I don't know. All right, this is a job. I go home. This is cool, you know. But there's a lot of things that are left unsaid just because communication is poor. And I think that communication is really important to pair programming. Empathy is really important to pair programming. Uh, And it's helpful from a, a managerial aspect to keep that stuff at the forefront of your mind where you're bringing people in. And I'd say, hey, we got a new person. Okay, cool. Send them over there and give them some work to do. You know, I'm just saying that in just conversations with friends who are kind of, you know, in the industry. So I don't know. That, that's just my two cents on that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I think you said that the qualities that make a good pair programmer make a good member of a community and therefore a good member of a company. Yeah, but I would say it's kind of tough to – if you're looking at it from, let's say, a company perspective, it's weird because you have pairing between an individual and an organization. So what I'm saying is, is that I feel as organizations, as members of organizations, right, we have to make sure that the things that you might see in pair programming aren't getting lost in that relationship between individual and organization, right? So are we doing our, our best as an organization, right? A good example is, well, how do you bring on new people, right? How do you make sure that people 
people are feel are part of our team. Or let's think about remote developers, for example. Right? Are the the resources that are that are available to people in office are those same resources? Uh, and that that may be things like trainings that are available. There may be a lot of like hallway conversation that's happening. How do we make sure that they're getting those things that they need in order to be successful? And I think all of those things. At the end of the day, are they shipping code? No, but they're really important. And so it's important for us. I think it's important for us whether we are, you know, someone like myself who's in the office and I'm working with someone who's remote like Dave to say, hey, are we doing what we need to do? Are we empathetic to making sure that, you know, someone like Dave is getting what he needs to be successful or a new person or whatever? And I feel like, you know, because that stuff is like you don't, you know, there's not some emotional quotient or something that's being touted, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, like, you know, like there's not going to be a CEO who's like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, we didn't bring in as much money, but boy, we feel a whole lot better. And I think that's really, <laughs> I think that's important when you think about things like churn to, yeah. which affect everyone, right? I mean, like, you know, if you have a friend that you, that comes in and starts working with you, like, hey, I would love to work with these people that I'm working with, but everyone keeps leaving, right? Like, why am I still here? Why are these other people leaving? So I think it's those sort of things that happen, you know, at all types of different companies. And so this whole big spiel is just to say two things that, you know, like, we definitely have to focus on communication, organization to individual, like between organization and individuals. And I think it's, you know, also focus on empathy, you know, treating people the way that uh, we would like you know, to be treated. And there's a great quote, it's somewhere on my Twitter, it's Billy Graham, I heard it on NPR, and he said, uh, how should a man live in order to not feel regret, or something along those lines, right? And so it's, it's for me, that's why I, like, I really enjoy the job that I have, it's just really important, I think, I like to see people excel, and I think a part of someone doing well, they need to know what they need to do, right? And, and we also have to kind of, you know, watch out for them. Right? You want someone like looking out for your best interests. And that's what happens during pairing. So that's my speech. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. David made the point earlier that Ember is a framework that grew out of a community, but really every great program, every great complex system that we're developing grows out of a community that is the team. And if you don't have that community building, if it's not a stable community, wow. it's not going to be a stable system. Wow, that is mind-blowing because basically what you've taken is you've taken what Charles said and turned it into if you want to produce something, it's the law of the harvest, right? You sow what you reap, and if you want to produce something great, you have to create the community to create that. I wonder if Jay's comment about companies having a, a responsibility to kind of pair up with new hires, I wonder if that's why, going back to the beginning of the show, why... He's doing so well with, with Per Columbus. I shouldn't keep talking about Jay like he's not in the room. Uh, <laughs> Jay, Jay, how do you feel that that, that attitude – do you feel that that influences uh, the way Per Columbus is run? Do you feel like there's a responsibility there? Do I feel that I have a responsibility to each new attendee? Is that, is that what you're yeah, kind of asking? Yeah. Please say oh. no. I would love to have some dirt on you. <laughs> no, without a doubt. I mean without a doubt. I mean I try to – um, I, 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 well, I'm not going to mention any meetups, but I'll say this. I remember when I first started going to meetups, you know, like industry-related meetups. And I remember my first time going and sticking out like a sore thumb and being this relatively young, gray-haired black dude and kind of being in the room. And I have weird sort of social anxiety that comes up at weird times and kind of being there, not speaking to anyone, not having anyone say anything to me. But wanting to be there, but not necessarily feeling welcome, it's not because people weren't, I don't think, wanted to be welcoming. It's just like, I don't know this guy, so I will not say anything to him. And so after Per Columbus, I'm usually absolutely exhausted. And that's because I've forced myself to make sure that if I do not recognize you, that you are greeted when you come in the door and that you are welcome and that you feel like you can grab me or bother me at any time. And I also try to make sure that if it's not something that if, if I can't, you know, help introduce you to what we're doing, that I have introduced you to someone, you know, who's like a, a part of our team or a long time attendee um, who can make you feel welcome. So I think that's cool. Like, you know, I, high school um, nightmares linger with me. 
<laughs> the lunch <laughs> all of us. Right? I'm sure with other people, right? You come in, it's like, okay, hey, where do you sit at? All right? Or I'm here in this corner by myself. For me, you know, it's just kind of like my overall life philosophy is to, you know, if I've been through something that's been difficult for me, is to try to help other people avoid that. And so I think a lot of the work that I've done is also a testament to a place like Cover My Meds. You're like, hey, you seem to really love this. You seem to really love working with new people. This seems to be a passion point of yours. Um, I say, hey, you know, why don't you do that for us, you know, on top of development stuff? So, but yeah, no, to answer your question, a real long answer to your question, Dave. Yes. No, that's awesome. That yes. is freaking awesome. That is freaking awesome. You mentioned greeting people so. as they come in, especially new people. That's that's so important. We had somebody as uh, that took over the running of the Portland Ruby Brigade about a few years ago now, uh, and he made it a point to personally greet everybody who came in, um, and it just made everybody feel so much more welcome. It made such a huge difference. Yeah, yeah, you see it too, right? You you see it in people's you know faces. You know they come in and they're. They're a little bit wary. They don't know where they go. And there's just something – like a good example was just here in a workplace. Some new folks came up with a, a new group of people. They were like all like relatively new hires who play games, right? It's like you know tabletop games. Come to find out, they didn't know that there was a whole other group of people who had been here for a long time and they didn't know each other. You know, So I'm like – there's more people to play games. They're like, what? No way. You know, and so just the excitement of knowing, hey, we're going to have one more for that Magic the Gathering draft. <laughs> Brought a lot of excitement to people's faces. But I think that, you know, I mean, we spend so much time of life at work. It, it makes no sense for us to work and be unhappy. Um, so if I, can, if I can help people through that, um, which then brings, happy, bring, you know, so which has now increased my happiness, then of course, you know. So that, that's my two cents on that. Physics of software is people. Amen. Oh, yeah. I was going to mention earlier when like we were talking about uh, organizations and how they interact with, uh, with new people. We were sort of dancing around uh, Conway's Law a little bit, uh, which is a, I'm looking at the Wikipedia mm-hmm. entry for it. It's, uh, it states that organizations which design systems are constrained to produce designs which are copies of the communication structures of those organizations. The way to use Conway's law is to decide how your system needs to work and then structure your organization right. like that. Oh my gosh, I've never thought about weaponizing Conway's law. <laughs> oh, there you go. Get in violence. This is not about violence, David. It's well, a tool. I, I, okay, I, you, okay. No, you're a tool. When I, when I say weaponize... Yeah, what I what I mean is like I we always accept Conway's law like gravity. You can't just force gravity to go the direction that you want. All you can do is just build from the bottom up and just accept that. But we can change an or Yeah, we can actually it's more yeah, you're right. It's more like a water wheel. We can change the communication structures of an organization in order to holy crap. That's coming up at the next team meeting, <laughs> right? If, if software is being difficult, maybe it's not the programmers. Maybe we need to sit down and change. And we need and, – and in, fact, in fact, don't even look at – oh, man, I'm screwing this up, but whatever. Um, instead of looking at, at the software is, is difficult, why is it difficult? We, I wonder if we could all sit down and say, how could I change the communication patterns in, in this organization without a need, without having to come up with a business case for changing those. Just just say, hey, let's change our communication pattern so that the software yeah. will change. Interesting point. And also, in order to do that, you have to be mindful you know, mm-hmm. of kind of the path you're like, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. that's also a part of that as opposed to saying, well, you know, we're just constantly reacting to whatever, mm-hmm. whatever's going on around us. Oh, we are growing. And so we're going to react to that growth as opposed to that. We know yeah. that we're growing, right. And be mindful of, you know, the things that we try out, but it's just one of those things, right. You know, for me, that's, it's rooted in, you know, things that I was taught as a kid. And I think it, it, it makes sense. You know, it, it makes sense. I wanted to be a teacher at some point in time. I don't know if I'm a teacher now, but it's <laughs> more of helping people find the things or helping the, people find the things or people, other people that they need um, in order to uh, not necessarily be successful, but to be more content, you know, I think in life. And I think contentment comes from, you know, uh, contentment comes from, Oh my goodness! That this is philosophy one on one. I don't know where contentment comes from. What am I talking about? But but I think it helps with my overall contentment. <laughs> oh man! This is putting myself is, in trouble. 
No, 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 no. This is exactly the anatomy of this is the for those of you listening at home very carefully. This is the secret anatomy of why a Ruby Rogues show is awesome or an episode is is less awesome. It's because we pick a really technical topic and then we end up talking about happiness. Speaking of happiness and tying back going back to paraprogramming we talked about earlier, I gave a talk at Mountain West Ruby Conf three, four years ago called uh, What's Wrong with Ruby's Object Model and Why That's a Good Thing. And I ended up spending half my talk time talking about the human brain because I had just read The Master and His Emissary, which is a book about right brain versus left brain. And TLDR, we all know that right brain, left brain is bunk, right? Left brain is logic, right brain is creativity. That's bullcrap, right? Well, actually... The bullcrap is bullcrap. It turns out that the left brain and right brain, yes, there are studies that show there is absolutely no function that one side of the brain can lose that the other side can't pick up and take care of because the brain is very, very plastic. But if left brain and right brain really is just completely garbage, how come if you get kicked in the left side of your head, you lose language? Every time, except for like 5% of people because their brains are actually flipped. The left brain, the neural network develops into tightly optimized cells and those cells communicate with each other loosely. The right brain has very loosely compacted nodes for doing everything, but those nodes are fully interconnected with each other. And so what happens in pretty much every species that has a bilateral brain, um, because we have evolved relentlessly to capitalize on this specialization, the left brain, if those of you five percenters can just flip this in your head, but those of us that are the 95% here, and this goes all the way down to like birds, the left brain is designed to narrow in and focus and isolate things out of, you know, take things completely out of context, like a bird pecking on the ground is going to go, that's a rock, that's a rock, that's a rock, seed, eat it. And the right brain is continuously integrating everything in the universe at once. It's continuously going, yeah, I'm hungry. The wind is blowing or the wind is not blowing and the grass is rippling over there. That might mean there's a cat that I have to be thinking about flying away about. And the right brain is continuously integrating everything. And the reason I bring us, that's the end of the TLDR. The reason I bring that up going back to paraprogramming is that the driver is often the left brain and the navigator is often the right brain. And the amount of talking you are doing is how active or dead the corpus callosum is in your pair. If you're not talking, you're brain damaged as a pair. And if you're talking nonstop, your corpus callosum is fully activated. If you're talking, actually, if you're talking completely nonstop, that means you're having an epileptic fit. But I'm taking the metaphor a little bit too far. The reason I call back to that just now is that the reason we said in the 1980s that left brain, right brain is bunk is that we invented the fMRI and we found that when you're doing a math problem, you use your right brain. And when you're painting a painting, you use your left brain. And even though you're not supposed to, right? Art's supposed to be on the right and math's supposed to be on the left and da, da, da. It turns out that when you are working a math problem, you're holding the rules of arithmetic in your left-hand side. And you're trying to creatively put them all together into an integrated solution on the right. When you're painting a painting, you're trying to hold the gestalt of the entire painting in your head in one side of your brain. On, on the other, you're trying to actually guide the specific brush strokes and which, which components are going to work together here to help contribute to that whole. And I mention that because every time someone in an MRI has reported doing something fulfilling contentment making contenting um something something contentful uh contentious is probably the wrong word uh something making us that makes us feel contentment and something that makes us feel happiness they light up fully on both sides of the brain at the same time so if you want to be fully energized as a pair you have to make sure that both pairs are fully lit up and engaged and communicating with each other and yeah that's amazing. Or like my dad would say, it's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would take that and, and go back to what I was talking about before and then pull that apart and say, I pull it apart, but then extend it to individuals and organizations. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Right? I would say, I would say the exact, the exact same thing. You know, yeah. so. that's the fun thing about Ruby Rogues. You go into these episodes and you never know if I'm going to go meta or if I'm going to go to the poop joke. And, <laughs> uh, if you'll pardon the pun, it's a crapshoot. So there you go. Well, that's cool. That's so I think we probably ought to move on to picks. This has been a fantastic show. Does anybody have anything else they want to, to wrap up before we move to picks? 
I want to say, yeah, I want I want to say thanks, Dave, because you've been uh, amazing, and I'm happy to have met you and to work with you. Thanks also too for suggesting Michael Feathers as a speaker at Pair Columbus. Um, he came and hung out with us oh, recently. Cool. Awesome. We had a hundred and sixty something people show up. Nice. So that's cool. He was like, I didn't. I think I'm pretty sure he said, <laughs> I didn't know Columbus existed. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> but it was like, I didn't know you guys' community was so strong. And I was like, I didn't know that either. But no, it was really great. And you had a lot to do with that. So I want to say thanks for your advice. I appreciate you. That's awesome. Thank you very much. Mandy, could we take that sound clip and have it bronzed and sent to my house? I, um, that would be fantastic. That would be great. Um, I, I do want to call back, if I may, to uh, for, for the listeners who may not have been with the show for as long as uh, some of us. Episode 26 was about pair programming, and episode 126, coincidentally, was about remote pair programming. And both of those go into a lot more, uh, well, a lot more volume, I suppose, of theory and detail about pairing and what it's good for. Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and jump into picks. Sam, do you want to kick us off? Sure. I'll just do two today. The first one is I have a standing desk, uh, or rather a sit-stand desk. It's motorized, and it's called the Jarvis. It's sold by a company called Ergo Depot, and they have showrooms in Portland and San Francisco. And I bought this desk about two years ago, and I put like a nice big piece of plywood on it because I thought what I really wanted was a nice big desk. It turns out that is a really good way to accumulate more stuff on my desk that just sort of piles up and drifts. So I recently went and I got a, a smaller tabletop from Ikea and put it on, the, on my uh, desktop. In that process, it broke, which was super annoying and actually hurt my back because it broke in such a way that it was several inches higher than it normally should have been. So like my shoulders were hunched mm. up. But I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Ergo Depot because their warranty support was amazing. They have a warehouse here in Portland, so I was actually able to to go over and drive and pick up the parts that I needed the very next day rather than having to wait two or three days for it to be mailed. And they were super nice. friendly, and the desk has been amazing. It has this uh, lifting capacity of like 350 pounds, which is absurd. But anyway, yeah, the Jarvis desk, it's pretty cool. The other thing I want to pick is a quick article called What Do Women Want at Hackathons? NASA has a list. Uh, and this talks about um, a couple of things that event organizers can do to increase the number of women who show up. Uh, this covers basic stuff like welcoming language on the website and, and emails and other marketing materials and having pictures of people who look like you on the website offering child care, which isn't really a women's issue, it's a parent's issue, but gets lumped in with women's stuff. But what I, what I found especially interesting about this article was that uh, NASA found that women really wanted to show up a day early for the hackathons uh, so that they could network with other women and get comfortable in the space before the hackathon started. Personally, I've wow. never been a fan of hackathons, but if you're going to run one and you want more women to show up, Scheduling a workshop for the day before sounds like it would be a pretty effective strategy. Wins my picks. That's awesome. Very cool. Thank you. Jessica, do you want to go? Sure. I've got some picks. The last time I was on, I picked CraftConf like ahead of time. So this time I'll pick one talk from there. Dan North did the opening keynote, and it's about embracing uncertainty, why you should and why you won't. Mm. I'll a link in the show notes. And this is the talk that was the origin of that single hand clapping and pairing as mm. the product of the system uh, that I mentioned earlier. My second pick is a paper called Common Ground and Coordination in Joint Activity. This is a paper about people working together, and it also talks about people working together with software. But the interesting part to me is how it breaks down the requirements of coordination in a joint activity, of sharing an objective and working with other people to achieve that objective. It breaks down the prerequisites, uh, the different challenges, and how we can maintain this without the cost of coordination overwhelming the benefits. I'll put a link in the show notes. Totally useful paper. Really liked it. Great vocabulary for talking about how you work with your team. That sounds great. The end. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. So it's traditional for the host to go last. And I just want to tell everybody that wants to just turn it off right after Jay is done speaking that I have one pick and it's going to take me less than 60 seconds, by which I mean 90 seconds, but I don't mean five minutes. So um, I've got a hot sauce pick today, but it's going to be really quick. So, but before that, Jay, do you have some picks for us? I do. And what I did, because I wasn't able, well, not wasn't able to, but I wanted to include uh, some of the other people from 
Kerry Columbus with me. Oh, yeah. I asked him to give me some picks. So cool. but I do have one myself, and that would be um, Apprenticeship Patterns, the book from Dave Hoover and Adewale Oshinai. Um, it's a really, really great book. I, I recommend that um, new developers, people who are pairing with pairing for the first time or have been pairing for a long time or even organizations that you know emphasize pair programming, just take a look at it. I think it says a whole lot about um, our responsibilities to each other as teammates. And it's really, really great, really, really great book. And then I have a pick from Brian Lees. It's uh, Zach Holman's How to Deploy Software article. Um, mm-hmm. It's really great. I would suggest that. I haven't read all of it, but it looks to be really, really good if you have questions and thoughts on how your team deploys uh, software, which his advice is it should be boring as hell. Mm-hmm. And you should stop stressing about it. And then my last pick is from uh, a great friend, Vasant Papu, and it's the uh, Book of Shaders from uh, Patricio Gonzalez-Vivo. Super readable, interactive guide to working with shaders, and there's some technical challenges to it. So if you're looking for a new challenge, want to do something a little bit different, you definitely want to check that out. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, guys, I'm actually starting a stopwatch right now. I have one pick today, and it's a hot sauce pick. As, as I mentioned last week, I was in Ohio, and I stopped by K. John's Fiery Foods, discovered them for the first time, and I bought three sauces, and I was afraid to even open the other two, and I opened the middle one this week. It's a 2 million Scoville sauce. It's called Black Mamba. The top of the box says, this is hate in a bottle and it lives up to the name. But this is the exciting thing is you can take this stuff and use it in micro, micro, micro drop format. I mean, you don't even put a drop on it. You dip a toothpick in it and get the toothpick stained and then you wipe that in some food and it makes it insanely hot, which means you can make and there's absolutely no flavor change, which means my food pairing is Dryer's Vanilla Ice Cream with Black Mamba Habanero hot sauce. It is crazy, crazy amazing. The one thing I will warn you about this is that cream covers up some of the heat of the hot sauce, which means that as the song Rock the Casbah says, the wrong antidote is like a bomb in the throat. In this case, it's like a bomb in your stomach or your intestines if you eat too much. So know your limits, put it in soup, put a drop in something, find out what you can eat, and then don't put more than that in your ice cream. But it tastes amazing. Try it. That's my pick. And that's our show today. Thank you guys for coming. This was a great show. Thanks, Jay, for being a guest. Thank you very much. All right. And we'll see you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join the conversation with the rogues and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a forum that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at rubyrogues.com slash parlance. 